As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you please uh, to pray with me. Father in heaven, uh, as we've been saying, your word, a light to our feet, a, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. And so we pray now that this word would be just that for us, that we would see clearly how we're to live, how we're to walk. You say in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. So please show us how we're to walk, how we're to live. That's consistent with being people called by your name. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn please to Ephesians in chapter 4. Ephesians 4, please. I want to read verses 1 through 16. Shall I say again, Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. This is the word of the Lord. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who ascended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, with when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And then together we say, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. I'm going to do something this morning that I rarely do. And that is, I'm going to switch texts on you. I'm going to take the text that I read before our confession from 1 Corinthians 11 and preach from it. Um, normally, as we set up our worship service, our liturgy, this just order of worship, I trust that word doesn't scare you. Um, that um, uh, we have a number of readings, and generally in a particular worship service, they're called a worship from Scripture, and then generally at least one other reading, sometimes two, uh, this morning only one, and we often have one right before the confession. It's, it's thematically related to the topic of the day. For today it was unity, uh, that from the Ephesians 4 passage, which we've been talking about uh, last Sunday, it's where to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And then if I was going to go on, which I'll do next week, into this Ephesians 4 passage, talking about the gifts that Christ has given to the church in order to help us live out this unity, attain this unity that was established, created for us by the Holy Spirit. 
Um, and, and so I chose this First Corinthians passage um, because it too is about our unity together as we come uh, to the table. Um, these words of institution are very familiar to us. So what I hope, a very simple goal today, what, my hope is simply to call you to this table um, to demonstrate and to deepen the union that we have with God through Christ and also the union that we have with each other. It's both of those. In fact, one of the things that has been impressed upon us in working our way through Ephesians so far for the first three and a bit of chapters into chapter four is the fact that the work of Christ has made peace between us and God, but also peace among each other. That we share a common union. That is a union with God and with each other. We share it. It is a communion, you see. And so as we come to this table, what it is to do for us as we do this in remembrance of Christ is to demonstrate and deepen for us our union with God. But also, we must never forget, our union with each other as well. And so as we are thinking about unity, as we're thinking about being joined together, then I want to speak to that union from this passage that is related to this communion. Now these words of institution, as we read from this passage earlier from 1 Corinthians, are familiar to us. Let me read them again. We call them the words of institution. This is what we say or thereabouts at every communion time. Verse 23 in 1 Corinthians eleven four. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. This is the apostle saying, I, I received this from the Lord and I've already delivered this to you. Well, we'll talk in a minute about some problems they're having in their misunderstanding of the Lord's Supper. And that's a, a bit of a rebuke from Paul saying, I, I, I got this from the Lord and I've already delivered this to you. I've already told you that you didn't follow it. So here we go again. I'm going to tell you this again. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. And the Lord Jesus on the night... He was betrayed. We remember that night that Jesus was betrayed. Took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for... As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, we realize that this clearly is about the death of Jesus, this supper. Um, he says that he took bread and he broke it. Jesus did. He said, this is my body, which is... For you, Luke has Jesus saying, given for you. And, and we get from that sense that, that it was a voluntary. Jesus gave his life. No one took it. He gave himself voluntarily, you see. I often think when Jesus was being whipped, that his body found their whips. 
He gave his body, you see. It isn't that his whips found his body. They did. But his body was given. He, he met the whip. He met the suffering. He gave his body. He gave himself for us. He says, the scripture says, we get that, we know that. It's very personal. This expression for us is personal. Some have said in the past that, that Christianity is a, is, is, a, is, a, is a faith of personal pronouns. Uh, he says, I've given this for you, for me, for us. Uh, instead of us, he took it on our behalf for us. He, he took it. So his body has been given for us. Uh, as you know, one of my, if you've been around a while, one of the passages that's, that I live by that I quote often from Romans chapter 5, that God demonstrates his love for us in this. One of the translations has his own kind of love. In other words, this is God's kind of love. This is the only kind of, it's the kind of love that God knows that is unknown really in the lives of humans so much. But he said, this is God's own kind of love, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, for us. He didn't wait till we deserved it because he that were the case, he'd never do it till we were lovable. But he gave himself for us. That's this sense here. Very personal. Then the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's a new covenant. You remember the old covenant? We could walk through the Old Testament, this old covenant, particularly, you might say, with Moses. Uh, you may even remember that when Moses was on Mount Sinai after receiving the law, he was at the foot of Mount Sinai and, and there was a sacrifice made. He took the blood and he sprinkled it on the people to ratify this covenant in blood, you see. And we know this covenant, it was a shadow, it was to come. There was a, a new covenant to come and we realize that uh, the prophet Jeremiah spoke of it. The author of Hebrews uh, quotes from the prophet Jeremiah of this new covenant in Hebrews in chapter 8 and verse 8. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them up out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant and so I showed uh, no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declare the, declares the Lord. I'll put my law into their minds. I'll write them on their hearts. I'll be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities. And I will remember their sins uh, no more. See, this new covenant takes care of two essential aspects of being joined together with God, being reconciled to him. One, the aspect of God's holiness and our sin. Because God is holy, he simply can't sweep our sin under the rug. It must be dealt with. And so it is dealt with, you see. In Christ, he takes the penalty for our sin and that we may receive and know the forgiveness of God. But not only that, this new covenant deals with our rebellion, our hearts which are turned against God, because in this new covenant, he says he'll write his laws upon our minds and our hearts. He'll put them there, you see. He'll change the inclinations of our hearts. Jesus would put it that it will be, have this new life that would be born again 
uh, prophet Ezekiel speaks of all of that when he says that in this new covenant will take out our heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh and put his spirit within us and cause us to walk in his ways. You see, it's this change of heart. So forgiveness of sins because of the penalty and being paid, a change of heart because of the work of God by his spirit in us to, tra- to change us, to change our inclinations, uh, being rebellious against him to being for him, you see. And so all of that comes in this new covenant. So when Jesus said, this is the new covenant, and now it's in my blood, my sacrifice. I ratify this new covenant. I guarantee this new covenant. This new covenant comes through me, he says. My blood. And then this expression, after each the bread and the cup, he says, do this in remembrance of me. It's an activity that we do, and as we're doing it, we're to remember him in some way. And, and I would suggest to you that that remembrance isn't simply a calling to mind what took place in the past. It is that. Of course, we have to think about that. We have to think about what took place in the death of Jesus that was in the past. And, and so we have to think about it. We recall it to our minds, and in that sense, remembrance. But, but this sense of remembering is... is Richer than that. This sense of remembering is taking that which took place in the past and bringing it forward into the present. Not that we're re-sacrificing Christ. It isn't that at all. He was sacrificed in the past. What we're doing is bringing all the effects of that into the present, into our present experience, you see. And so we're taking in the past effect of Jesus as he died and gave himself for our forgiveness. We're taking the effects of that, that forgiveness of sins, and we're embracing that forgiveness right now in the present moment, in the reality of time. When we're doing this in remembrance of him, says, I'm, I'm participating and I'm sharing in what he did. And I'm, I'm taking that forgiveness of sins that was earned, that was bought at that moment in time, and I'm experiencing that now. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm receiving that now. And, and that reconciliation with God, I'm receiving, I'm experiencing that now. Not for the first time for most of us, I suspect, but, but we're, we're experiencing again. We're, we're taking that which took place in the past and we're taking the effects of it and we're bringing it up now and we're sharing in all that took place in this moment. The past event is still for us present reality, the forgiveness of sins, the adoption as his sons, the redemption, the freedom from slavery to sin, to its penalty and its power, this filling of the Holy Spirit that works, works in us to sanctify us, that is to conform us to the image of Christ. Uh, who gives us assurance that we really do belong to him. Take all of that, took place in the past, in remembrance, and now share in it and all the effects you see of it. I suppose by way of illustration, there are various events that take place in our lives that we celebrate. 
for instance, I could just use this, a wedding anniversary. I'm not very good at celebrating them, but, but I should be better. And maybe now I'll be convicted to be better at celebrating them. But, 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 but this sense of celebrating a wedding anniversary, what, what, do you, what do you do? Well, you're doing it in remembrance of something that took place in the past. But if you're really celebrating, you're taking the effects of that day when you were united to your spouse. And now you're bringing that into that day. And there's a sense in which you're... You're sharing in that oneness. And you can do that in various ways to sort of reenact that day. You might have guests that come and celebrate it with you. You might even have cake, you know, and smash it into each other's faces. However you want to do that. But but it's sort of do this in remembrance of me. Reenact something. And, and, and so you can bring the effect of the moment. And you think about your vows. And you say, yes, that's true. Today, as it was then. And so when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, this is the mental activity. Oh yes, I remember it. It's no, 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 no. Share in it. Share in it, you see. And we see that. Uh, if you can turn back to 1 Corinthians in chapter 10, uh, Paul's talking uh, uh, here even about the Lord's Supper. And he's doing it in a particular context He's doing it by way of, of illustration. I, I don't want to get into the particular context there. It's about eating meat offered to idols and so forth and so on. But, but, he, but he's talking about, uh, about these sacramental meals and what they mean. So verse 14, he says, Therefore, my beloved, this is 1 Corinthians 10, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak to, as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless... So he's he's at the table here, you see. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Now that word participation is a Greek word we know. In fact, if you've been paying attention at all to the national spelling bee, you'll know that it is the winning word this year of the national spelling bee. I don't usually spell pay attention to the National Spelling Bee, but it was a commercial on ESPN. Uh, and it was a competition. And so, so, and it's the word koinonia. So the winning word in the National Spelling Bee this year was koinonia. And, and the definition given was a, a spiritual communion. See? And the word koinonia, as you know, uh, means to fellowship, to share in. So when one koinonia's the blood of Christ, one shares in it. You see? That is, one receives from it. One shares in all the effects of it. And so when we share in the blood of Christ, what we're sharing is all the effects of it, the forgiveness of sins, the adoption that comes, the union that we have with God and with each other, and, and all of that, we're experiencing it, we're sharing in it, in the moment. And so Paul was saying, don't go to pagan temples and eat there and eat the meat that's offered to the idols there because there's a sense in which you're sharing, you're participating in demons. Because you see, we know that when we share in the bread and the wine, we're sharing in all the effects of Christ. Something is really happening. 
in us. No, it doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen by ingestion, but it happens as we come by faith. Something happens. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember the past event, but share in all the effects of it. In fact, in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, I may get all Presbyterian on you for a minute. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, the 96th question and answer. Uh, What is the Lord's Supper? That's the question. The answer is, the Lord's Supper is a sacrament in which bread and wine are given and received as Christ directed to proclaim his death. Those who receive the Lord's Supper in the right way share the language of our forefathers. Share in his body and blood with all its benefits, not physically, but by faith. Become spiritually stronger and grow in grace. Something happens, you see. When we do this by faith, God works in such a way by his grace. Enables us to share in these blessings which Christ has wrought by way of his death, you see. That's what's to take place. That's what's, you see, to happen. Now we get all that. But the reason that Paul writes about communion in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 11 isn't precipitated necessarily by that. Well, what precipitates Paul writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 about this Lord's Supper is because the church was divided. That, that's what leads him into this. Now, what I've just said is all true, and, and, and it could be a teaching on its own, and has been, and should be, and all of that, but, but that's not Paul's point here. Paul was simply saying, now at the table, what you need to realize is you can't be divided. Notice, if you'll look in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17, what I didn't read, but this is the intro to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. He says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. I mean, could you imagine after, after taking communion, what you thought was taking communion, the Lord said to you, that was harmful to you. <laughs> it wasn't helpful to you. You missed it, you see. Verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, when you come together, he said that twice now already, when you come together as a church, church is the gathering of those who've been called out of the world by God. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Now, if you're a reader of the Bible and you have read through 1 Corinthians, you might remember that it begins and continues on talking about all the divisions that habit are true in in the life of this congregation. What we read in in the opening chapter is that there are divisions based upon teachers. Some seem to be affiliated with this teacher or that teacher or this teacher or that teacher. And you get the sense that this is a prideful thing. Well, I'm associated with this teacher. That makes me better than you. Well, I'm associated with this teacher. That makes me better than you. Then finally, somebody trumps them all and says, well, I'm associated with Christ, so that makes me better than you. And Paul says, wait a minute. No, 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 no. It's all about Christ for all of you. He's the one who died for you. And he goes directly then into a discussion of the cross. Jesus is the one who's died for you. So he's the one. He's the only one. The rest of us are just stewards. The rest of us are just servants. We just, we just kind of tidy up. But, but, but Christ is it, you see. 
And so divisions exist among them. And still at the table, notice see, what hap- see what's happening. For in, he says, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Verse 20. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Now, they thought it was. You see, now that's the scary part of this. They were actually deceived. They actually thought it was. I mean, it's sort of like leaving a worship service and you go, that was great. I liked all the songs. Everything was really good. And then the Lord's saying to you, but I wasn't worshipped. You go, oh my. See, we can be deceived. We're not to, to, to judge things according to what our own perceptions. But we're to judge things about, well, what about the Lord? You know, we always talk, we play in a worship service and other things. Will the Lord like this? <laughs> Does the Lord like this song? Does the Lord like these lyrics? Does the Lord like these words? Best we can figure. Um, we may or may not like the tune, but, but, but is, it, is it glorifying? Is it edifying? Is it, does it bless the Lord, you see? He's the one. So when you come together, it's not for the Lord's supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. So you can get the picture. They're they're coming together to eat, to eat food, to fill their stomachs. They're missing the point of it. Paul says, I already told you how you're supposed to do this. It isn't about filling your stomach. It isn't about what, what, you know, whether your meat's rare or medium rare or whether there's enough potatoes or any of that. That's not the point of it. It's about this bread and this wine. That's it. It's all you need. You don't need all this other stuff. So eat before you come. But even still, what was happening is that there were divisions among them. Even in this, when you come together, it's not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. That is, one overindulges, one gets too much. But then he says, but uh, what, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Some are getting some, some are getting nothing. But I say to you, shall I commend you in this? No, he says, I'll not. You see, they weren't coming together to share what was true of what Christ had done, to unite them with him, but also to unite them with each other. In fact, Paul hints this. If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that I read a minute ago, focusing on this idea of sharing under this koinonia. If I go back to verse 16, he says, The cup of blessing that we bless, it is, not, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ, a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the, in the body of Christ that is in sharing in, in, in the body of Christ? Then verse 17. Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. See, this still his point. If you could picture it like this, he's saying there's one big loaf. <laughs> you see, now we may take pieces off that big loaf, but we all come from one big loaf. You know, all the work of Christ, all who he is, you see. In fact, that's what makes this verse 29 in chapter 11 so interesting. Turn there, look at that for a moment quickly. He says, for if anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Well, if you read that expression, you go, what body is he talking about? Now, some versions of the Bible add to this sentence by saying, if anyone eat, uh, for if anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body of the Lord. That's, that's not in the text, but some versions put that in there. And, and the sense is that what we're talking about is that when you come to the table, you need to understand what Christ has done. 
You need to understand his body and his blood. You need to understand that he gave his body, shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Now that, of course, is true. The question is, is that Paul's point here? Probably not. That's true. We don't want to move beyond that too far, but it's true, so we don't want to lose it. But, but still, what his point is, is, is discern the body. Just like I read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, his focus here is about being unified. His focus is about the body. His focus is when you come to this table, you don't come by yourself. When you come to this table, the blessing isn't only to remember the Lord and thus take the effects of the forgiveness of sins and adoption and and, and redemption and all of that and bring it into your present reality. It's that, but it's more than that. You're also coming together in such a way that you're, you're taking the effects of what Christ did that's joined you together with each other and to experience it together. I often wonder, there's this expression that's scary, verse 30. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Now, it could be simply a prophetic word of judgment on their their sinning, but it might also be that because they're so divided, there are some among them that have such needs that never get met, that they actually die. Because no one's paying attention to them. Because no one's thinking, that person belongs to me. I'm joined together with them. And I just ate all the food. And they didn't get anything. You see, it's it's like that. He says, I want you to know, when you come to this table, then in the one sense, you're saying to God, I love you. Thank you for giving your son for me. But when we come to this table, we're also saying to each other, I love you. So the way that we come worthily is not by saying, well, I'm good enough. That would be ridiculous, of course. Because Jesus said, come to me, all your weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me. It says, come to me if you're weary, burdened. You know your own sin. You know you can't. You're under it. Come to me. We don't come because we're able. We don't come because we deserve it. The great story about an old uh, Scottish pastor, John Duncan. It's his name, 18th century pastor. Um, his nickname was Rabbi. Called him Rabbi Duncan because he had a ministry um, to Jewish people. The story is told about him that he's serving communion in his congregation and there's a woman, a woman who's weeping and she motions off the bread and the wine. And he looks at her and he says, take it, ma'am, take it. Christ died for sinners, you see. That's how we come worthily, understanding our sin, of course. We don't deserve it, but he died for sinners, and I'm a sinner, and so I take, I take it so that I may participate, so that I might share in all that took place 
so that I may know the reality of forgiveness of sins, so that I may know the reality of redemption and adoption, even now, today, my own life. We don't take it even because our faith is strong enough and we think our, our faith is so strong we can do this. There's a wonderful uh, question and answer out of the larger catechism. It's really my favorite, I must confess. Thus, probably shouldn't have favorites. Probably you worry about me that I have favorites in something called the Westminster Larger Catechism. But uh, uh, there's a question. I, don't, I thought I had it written there, but I have to look it up here. But um, this question... Uh, that says, um, ah, here it is. Should those who have doubts about their being in Christ or about whether they're ready to take communion come to the Lord's Supper anyway? It's question 172. Should those who have doubts about their being in Christ or about whether they're ready to take communion come to the Lord's Supper anyway? So the question is, if you're doubting at the moment, should you come? And here's the answer. It's almost surprising. You kind of would expect them to say no. But that's not the answer. So those who have doubts about their position in Christ or about their readiness to take communion may nonetheless have a valid interest in Christ, even though they're not yet assured of being in him. In God's view, if such people are aware of and grieved by their lack of assurance, truly want to be found in Christ, want to get away from sinning, and, then parenthetically, since promises are involved in the sacrament and it's been established to aid even weak and doubting Christians, if people in that condition are truly sorry for their lack of faith and work hard to resolve their doubts, they may and ought to come to the Lord's Supper so that their faults may be further strengthened by it. You see, this is a strengthening thing. This is something we come to, um, to have our faith built and strengthened to receive his grace. Now, you can see, the difficulty in that, well, do you have faith? Do you not have faith? But we get the point of it, the invitation, come, allow the Lord to minister. You don't wait until your faith is so strong. You come so that your faith will be strengthened, you see, so you can participate. But also this, you see, when we come worthily to this table, when we realize that we're united to all others who name the name of Christ. That we're to love them. And Jesus said, everyone will know that you're my disciples. And he didn't say, by your theology. He could have. I mean, that's certainly an indicator and one that's necessary. But he says, if the theology is true, then this is what your life will be. That you'll love one another as I've loved you. And so we say to ourselves, I'm united with God through Christ. I'm united to everyone who takes the name of Christ, regardless of their race, their nationality, their language, their economic situation, their education, their appearance, their political persuasion. I'm united to them all. We all take from one loaf. We all dip in one cup. We all share in Christ. And I'm to love as I've been loved. You see, 
And then we take that reality and you say, well, you know, I'm struggling with loving. And, and should I come to the table? And the answer is, well, yeah, as long as you repent, as long as you know that sin, as long as you know that, that struggle uh, is, is one that's a real honest struggle and, and one where you desire to really love and to really be able to, to be united in every way with all brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of whatever hangs you up. And so you come to the table. Why? So that you can remember the Lord. So that you can share in the effects of what he did in joining us together. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread after giving thanks. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and again, after giving thanks, this too, he gave to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. He's saying, what I want you to do every time you do this, I want you, yes, to think back about the cross, but then I want you to share in it I want you to take all the effects that took place at the cross and I want you to bring them forward into your present reality and I want you to know the forgiveness of sins. I want you to know redemption, that the power of sin has been broken. I want you to know your adoption into my family, that you're my heirs. I want you to know the Spirit's filling in you to conform you to the image of my Son. I want you to know the assurance of all of this, your faith to be strong. And I want you to know that you're not alone. I want you to know that you've been united with all other believers. And I want you to share in that. I want you to love them as I've loved you. So I want you to come and I want you to take a piece of bread and I want you to dip it in the cup from one loaf in one cup together. Let's pray. Father, I pray for us on this day that you would grant by your grace that we would be able to do this in remembrance of you. That we would consciously by faith share in all the blessings of Christ. And that we would know that as believers together. So please take this bread and this juice and set it apart in such a way that as we come to this table, that we will indeed know that we are in the presence of our Lord Jesus. And that we, through him, are united to God. And we, in him, are united to each other. This, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I